So open your Bibles to Luke 19, and let's meet a man named Zacchaeus. Now, if you grew up going to vacation Bible school, you already know about Zacchaeus, because there were the top 10 vacation Bible school songs. Now, number one was always and will always be, booster, booster, be a booster, don't be grouchy like a rooster. How can you replace lyrics like that? But in the top 10 of every vacation Bible school is this song. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And I learned that as a boy. Now, I did not know what the word we meant. I assumed he was from Scotland. But I did know that he was short, and I immediately connected to Zacchaeus, because let's be honest, I have dealt most of my life with stature issues. And that was frustrating as a boy, because I loved sports. And you know, we tell kids, it doesn't matter how big you are, it just matters how much fight you have in your heart. Well, tell that to coaches, because coaches like big, okay? My middle school coach used to say, Ashley, you may be small, but you're slow. He, he had the gift of encouragement that way. But the good news is that Jesus has a different way of sizing a person up. And his way can have a huge impact. So, verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy he wanted to see who Jesus was but because he was short he could not see over the crowd so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way Zacchaeus was a wee little man he was short But if you had asked the people in town, when it came to measuring up, they would have said he was not just vertically challenged. They would have said Zacchaeus is short in integrity. He's short in virtue. He's short in loyalty to his own people. He's short in character. Remember when we talked about Matthew, we learned that tax collectors were Jewish people that turned their back on their own people to work for the Romans, to tax unethically monies from their own people to support the occupying army. So they're not just cheaters, they're traitors. And Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. So the other tax collectors worked for him. So he doesn't just benefit from a corrupt system he runs it he rules over it and that means there are two things he is not short of he's not short of cash and he's not short of enemies because everybody hates this guy as we'll see in a moment and then he hears Jesus is coming through town And he desperately wants to see Jesus. Now maybe it was just a fleeting curiosity. But maybe something deeper is going on. 
Maybe deep down in his soul, he's tired of being the guy that everybody looks down on. And not just because he's short. He's heard rumors. Some of the tax collectors that he had known, that they used to go to seminars together on how to cheat your neighbor. They have quit their jobs. And now they're following this guy who's coming through town. So something is compelling him. In fact, it's so strong, he literally is willing to go out on a limb. Because he must see Jesus. And what happened next is so cool. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Now notice a couple of things. First, like any good preacher, Jesus expects a good meal now and then. You're supposed to feed the preacher. You either have him to your house or you give him outback gift cards. It's right there in the Bible. But even more interesting to me is that Jesus never needed name tags. He's just walking along and he looks up, says, Zach, I'm free for lunch. Let's go to your house. And Zach is shocked because it's hard for us to imagine God paying that much attention to us when we haven't paid that much attention to him. And Zach has been called a lot of names in public, most of them unprintable. But no one ever called him by his real name until Jesus came along. And so he's excited. It says that he welcomed him gladly. But now we got something else in short supply. And that's joy. Because the next verse says that all the people saw this. And they began to mutter. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. By the way, have you ever noticed that every time Jesus goes to a party poopers show up (laughs) and usually it's the religious establishment but notice this time it says all the people I mean everybody in town even the sinners couldn't believe he'd go to that sinner's house and Jesus decides to size up the whole situation you see Zacchaeus stood up And he said to the Lord, look, Lord, not rabbi, not friend, but look, Lord, here and now, I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said, today. Salvation has come to this house. Because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. 
About 25 years ago, the word lost became unpopular. And so we created new words to describe people outside of Christ. Unchurched became popular, and the most popular word became seeker. The irony is that lost people are not called seekers in the Bible. Because in the Bible, God is the seeker. Zacchaeus didn't find Jesus. Jesus found Zacchaeus. And he said to all the critics, you got to understand, I came. To pursue and redeem lost people. And when it comes to those that need to be found, everybody's name is on the list. Because the point is that all fall short and need Jesus. That according to Jesus... We are all we little men and women. None of us measure up to the righteousness of God. Paul put it this way in Romans 3. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, we struggle to believe that we fall short. We struggle to see our shortness we're like the guy that went to get a physical the nurse asked what do you think you weigh he says probably about 160 pounds she put him on a scale and said no you weigh 186 how tall are you i think about 511 she measured no you're 58 and a half what's your normal blood pressure he said how could i know i walked in tall and slender now i'm short and fat <laughs> and here's why we have trouble Seeing our own shortness. Because wherever we go, we can find a Zach. There's a Zach in your school. There's a Zach at your job. There's a Zach in your neighborhood. In your fraternity or your sorority. Wherever you hang out. Hey, I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm not saying I don't have my faults. But I'm not Zach. And Jesus comes along and... He does not say that we all sin the same amount. Some people do sin more than others. He's not even saying that all sin has the same temporal consequences. Some sin causes more collateral damage than other sin. Here's what he's saying. All of sin. How many sins does it take to separate you from God? This many. All have sinned. None of us measure up. To the righteous standards of God. We are all Zacks. But here's the good news. We are all findable. And redeemable. Because it is impossible for anyone. To send themselves beyond the reach of the grace of God. Now. You clearly didn't hear what I just said because you didn't clap. So I'm going to say that again. (laughs) It is impossible for anyone to send themselves beyond the reach of the grace of God. 
And that sentence is your hope because your name is Zach. And that's the point. And the point has an impact. Look, Lord, he said, here and now. Zach has changed. The impact is a new person. And it's hard to imagine a new future if you're still defined by your past. But Jesus comes along and says, no longer is your identity going to be built on somebody else's label. From now on, your identity is going to be built on the gospel. From now on, you are going to know who you are by looking up instead of looking around. For too long, you have looked around for others to tell you who you are. That stops here and now. That's why Paul could say in Ephesians 1, it's in Christ that we find out who we are. And one of my favorite verses, look at 2 Corinthians 5. Now, you've seen this verse many times, but I want you to see it in a new way. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. I don't think a lot of us believe that. For a lot of us, all the gospel did was wash the old person. You're still an old person, just don't smell as bad. That's not what he said. He says, anyone that belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is not just washed. It is gone. A new life has begun. The gospel is not just forgiveness. It is forgiveness, but it is also formation. That what God is doing in Christ is He is birthing the person you were always supposed to be. The person you really can become. That's why Paul could say in Romans chapter 6 that when we were baptized, we were buried with Christ and we shared His death. And so just as Christ is raised from the dead by the power of the Father, we also can live a new life. Not a washed up old life. A new life. This is not the power of positive thinking. This is the power of the Holy Spirit working in you to develop the character and the mind of Christ so that you don't live short of what God has called you to be. And the sure evidence of this is that you will move from a taker to a giver. You will no longer remain labeled by who you were. You will start releasing who you are. Look, Lord, he says, here and now I give. A new person. Because he's got a new passion. You see, the old Zach lived for what he could get. But the new Zach lives for who he can bless. And by the way, unconsciously every day you make a decision. What will be the primary motivator of my life today? Will it be what I can get or who I can bless? He stands up, he says, Lord... 
I cheated some folks, and i got to make it right. So I'm going to give back four times what I stole. And Lord, I've turned my back on the poor. I built up my little empire, and I only cared about the kingdom of me. But that's the old Zach. He's dead and gone. I'm living for who I can bless. You see, the evidence of the new you is taker becomes giver. I read an interesting story last Christmas. This couple in Kentucky named the Lichens. They go out to turn on their Christmas lights and they see this big uh, plastic wrapped something at the end of their garage. They go take the plastic off and it's a wicker rocking chair that looks vaguely familiar and they remember, hey, this is the chair that was stolen from our porch over 15 years ago. And with it was a note. And the note said, many years ago my husband stole this chair from the porch on this house. But since that time, my husband and I have divorced, and I have found Jesus, and I'm born again. So forgive the cowardly way I'm returning this chair, but I'm trying to make things right, sincerely. And they took that chair into their bedroom, and it's become a treasured keepsake, because the old life was gone. And the new has come. Can't you see Zach smiling? He's not angry. He's not saying, I guess now that I'm saved, I have to give a tithe every Sunday. He's excited to share. He is a cheerful giver. And the Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver. Do you know why God loves a cheerful giver? Because cheerful givers love God. Cheerful givers have figured out that the Holy God came and lifted you up when you could never, by any religious system, measure up. And in grace, He brought you into His kingdom. In grace, He saved you. And you're so overwhelmed by this that you just have to express your love to God. And how does the Bible consistently tell us to love God? Simple. Go love some Zacks. It is worthless to tell me about your spiritual devotion if it's not touching your material decisions. Don't tell me how much Christ is in your heart if it hadn't reached your wallet. The transform life moves from taker to giver. And when you are moved by how God overcame your vertical challenges, you will have a horizontal impact. Today, Jesus said, salvation has come to this house. Jesus is not saying that generosity is the means to salvation. He is saying it is the evidence of salvation. 
And that's why I enjoy the story. I came across some years ago a machinist in Detroit who worked for the Ford Motor Company. Accepted the invitation of a friend to visit a church. And the gospel grabbed him and changed him. He surrendered his life to Christ. He was baptized that day. And the Holy Spirit immediately goes to work. And he knows that he has through the years in his employment at the Ford Motor Company. Taken a number of supplies and tools home. And they don't belong in his home. So he makes the decision the following morning to return everything he's ever stolen, knowing it could cost him his job. He goes to his foreman. He explains, I'm a Christian now. It's wrong for me to have these. I bring them back and I ask for your forgiveness. And now his foreman has to decide, what am I going to do about this? So he asks his supervisor. Who asked his supervisor? It goes all the way to the top. And somebody says, we ought to ask Mr. Ford, who happened to be in Europe visiting a plant over there. So they cable to Henry Ford this whole situation and ask him, what should they do? And here's what he cabled back. Dam up the Detroit River and baptize the entire city. <laughs> because salvation always has an impact. And not just on the individual. I want you to listen close. Do you see that by renewing Zach, Jesus was also renewing a community? By turning his heart around. He was turning a neighborhood around. Because Jesus knows that saved people are not short-sighted. Saved people don't see themselves as entitled. They see themselves as entrusted. Now most people live by this question. Why don't I have what I don't have yet? And saved people live by this question. Why do I have what I have? And saved people want to partner with God in this whole wonderful business of renewal. They don't see the gospel as just... Saving an individual so that that person can march into heaven. But they see the gospel as changing that individual so that he can march into the world and give a witness to heaven. Give the world a glimpse of heaven. Because saved people aren't short-sighted. They see this whole renewal thing as being bigger than just them. They see that Jesus is out on the mission to reverse the curse because God doesn't want a world with cancer and homelessness and abortion and little girls trafficked as sex slaves. This isn't the world God wants and it's not the world God's going to have. And in the gospel, Jesus Christ is renewing and bringing to God the world he wants. 
And we are so sure of this future, we want to give a witness to it in the present. Because we're saved people. And this is what we do. So, when the communist regimes of East Europe began to collapse, there was a lot of turmoil. You might recall that in Yugoslavia there was civil war, especially in Sarajevo. The different ethnicities were killing each other. And there was a man there, he was a cellist for the Sarajevo Opera. His name was Vedran Shmajlovic. And in his neighborhood there was a bakery. And food was scarce and there was a long line just to get bread. And a bomb went off. And he rushed to the scene of the carnage to help recover 22 dead bodies. And the next day, he put on his tuxedo and he showed up at the crater of that former bakery and he played his cello. He played for 22 straight days, one day for every person that lost their lives. It was his way of saying, into this darkness, I'm going to fight with the only beautiful thing I have, my music. And with bombs going off and with snipers shooting people, he protested the only way he knew how. And people said, aren't you crazy to go out there? Where you could get shot. And he would respond. Why doesn't anyone ask. Isn't it crazy. That we're shooting each other. And I want to say to you. In a world that is dark. Is the gospel telling us. To hide behind our walls. And protect ourselves. And just hope Jesus comes to get us soon. Or is the gospel calling us. To enter the darkness. And bring the music of light. To protest and stand against the evil of the world. And to announce there is a renewing that's already beginning. You see, saved people just size things up differently. And it makes an impact. And so we feed the hungry, and we rescue the little girls, and we defend the unborn, and we build schools. And when we do, we lift people up like they were in trees so that they can see Jesus a little better. This is the impact of salvation. I'd like you all to stand. And after I pray over you, we're going to sing a song of worship. And we're going to offer worship not just with our voices, but with our wallets. And so I want you to get out one of these envelopes. I hope it's prepared. If not, prepare it now. 
And the plates are going to pass while we sing. And we are going to partner with God in the renewal of all things. And so, Father, I pray now that we will fully embrace and live out salvation. You rescued us when we were so short of righteousness and had nothing to offer. You found us. And now, God, I pray that you would find that our hearts are changed. Our goals are different. Our reason for getting up every day is new. And would you please use what we give to send light to the world. And may we give with joy like saved people. For Jesus' sake, amen.